And so I have gone into every workday from the moment I got here to, to, to even today being curious. Uh, and, and specifically what that means is, is I think three things. It means asking questions and hopefully asking the right questions. It means listening super hard to the answers you get to those questions. And it means synthesizing that data and taking your best guess at what you should do and then learning from your mistakes because it's a I think curiosity is a cycle it's not just about about learning stuff as an input to a problem it's also about learning stuff as an output from what you did hey there this is Ben thanks for tuning in to lead the team before we jump in we just broke into the top three percent of all podcasts globally and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Lead the Team. I've got a treat for you today with Doug Street, who's the Chief Operating Officer over at Allidade Care Solutions. And Allidade, if you're not familiar with it, is the leading primary care enablement company and supports independent primary care practices by giving them the tools and technology to deliver high-quality care and improve patient outcomes. And who doesn't want that? And if you're not also familiar with their sort of business structure, they have nearly 1,000 employees and serve 1.7 million patients in over 40 states. And also, Allidade is one of the less than 1% of private companies to reach a $1 billion valuation, and that's billion with a B. And Doug has been with Allidade for over five years, and he began his journey with the company as a product fellow, and believe it or not, accelerated through the ranks, has now grown into his current role in the C-suite. And he's an undergraduate degree in psychology and neuroscience and a master's in public health from Yale. Doug, welcome to Lead the Team. Thanks so much, Ben. Great to be here. Oh, man, I'm, I'm been looking forward to this. And as y'all, we, we were talking before the show, there's, you know, we've got, you know, d- d- we're going to dive into it. Doug's background, being on the younger end of the age spectrum in the C-suite. And I think this is a really specific, good place for us to start today. So what opportunities and challenges have you had as a leader being younger in the C-suite? Because I think most people think about C-suite leaders, you're thinking about 25, 30 years, you know, in the organizational world, you know, and here you are uh, and, and on the younger side of that. So w- what's it been like? Yeah, absolutely. For folks who are listening to the podcast, they can't see my wrinkle-free face, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I've, it's not just, a, so it's not just a great beauty regimen. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's actually been both an amazing opportunity and a, and a real challenge, which is for a lot of people, they can rely on their battle scars to earn people's respect. You know, I, I've been through this, I've done this, I know how to do this for me. Hmm. I don't have a lot of those. I have, I have a handful for sure. Uh, but there's, there's more experiences ahead of me than there are behind me. 
and there's uh, there's a lot of learning ahead of me and a lot of things that I that I don't know how to do yet. And so when I approach leading the team, I have to approach uh, leadership from I think a degree of humility that is that is maybe deeper than than maybe a leader who has come in and knows exactly what they're doing. I have more questions than answers most of the time. And um, I think I've stumbled through this a few times. I don't think I've been naturally good at this uh, forever. But and, and in fact, there have been a number of cases where my team has been like, hey, I know how to do this. Let me do my job. And I've had to be like, oh, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. And over time, the, the approach that I've that I've developed to leadership as a relatively young leader has been to honestly lean into my uh, inexperience and to lean into the things that do bring me into my position and my seat, which is my experience at this organization. Uh, I, I know this organization better than most people have been in it for a long time. My experience in this industry, which is pretty fledgling, this value-based care industry, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and my understanding of the broader 30,000-foot context, which is to say, I have I have context that people on my team don't always have just by nature of the seat I'm in. And so what I can do as a leader is empower people by sharing that content, empower them to make their own decisions and to lean on their own expertise. And so I try to surround myself, as most people do, with people who are smarter than me. Uh, it's not not too hard to do uh, and empower them to do their best work. Wow. So what you just said to me really resonated. And I, I'm thinking, man, every leader should try this playbook. Even if you do have the battle scars, if you have been there, what happens when you try on humility? Now, if you haven't been there, yeah. you have to just you have to go with that. <laughs> but it, I think it's a powerful yeah. strategy because you might be surprised at the at what you at what emerges from your team. And if you and I think there's a real burden for leaders who know too much. It's like that curse of knowledge where you know too much and you just can't let people do do what they need to do or let them ruin because you know the answer and uh that's a that, that to me that's a ticket for burnout too having your team come to you all the time and uh I, I really like also how you've taken such a thoughtful approach to this and you're leaning into the humility but also you've also identified what your superpowers are uh to sort of bring that bring that to the table is there a is there like a certain time or memory you have of when that really paid off, or maybe in an interesting kind of way? So you know, a, a, an example that comes to mind is actually from a previous role at Allidade. This is probably I don't know four years ago. I was a product manager on the team, and we were building our fledgling analytics dashboarding uh, for mm-hmm. the company, and I. I have a data background. I'm a total data nerd. I, uh, <laughs> if I could, if I, if I could ask, uh, if I could have one trait in everyone on my team, it would be that they are super fluent in data because that's how I think about problems. I think is how I ask questions. And so I had a lot of a lot of opinions about how we would uh, how we'd build these dashboards. And mm-hmm. at one point, I um, I was leading a team of software engineers and data analysts and research scientists, and I came to our morning stand-up. We would meet every day for 15 minutes and talk about our priorities. And I came with a unilateral decision. This is the thing we're going to build. Go do it. Because I thought that was the job of leadership. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I tell you what to do and you do it, right? That's, that's At least that's at the time what I thought being a leader looked like. 
And uh, the meeting ended without without you know much fanfare. People went on about their days. Unbeknownst to me, the team was collecting themselves uh, without me to discuss how much they disagreed with what I had directed them to do and <laughs> why I was wrong. Like, and <laughs> a very uh, a very brave software engineer uh, who I who I adore, who still is at Alladay to this day, called me that afternoon and was like, "Look, here's the deal." we all disagree with you. We all think you're completely wrong. Uh, and so we think we should do this instead. And I was like, why did no one say that on the call? And I realized it was because I came in. So I came in swinging and I came in so strong in my perspective. I didn't create space for dissent hmm. and I didn't, I certainly didn't create any space for humility for, for the possibility of me being wrong. And so I, you know, I spent the evening reflecting on it. And the next morning, I, I came into our stand-up, our, our daily 15-minute stand-up, and I started with an apology. And I said, you know what? I approached that the wrong way. I actually don't know all the answers, and I certainly don't, don't have the expertise that many of the people on this team have when it comes to software engineering and data modeling. And I wasn't sufficiently leaning on your expertise. And um, that was probably one of the earliest examples I can think of of, of me realizing really actively that leadership was not just about telling people what to do and being directive. It was also about pulling the best knowledge out of the people on the team who are experts. Uh, and, and I think I've, I've carried that forward ever since that, that day. Wow. I love that. And what a wake up call. And I love how you got the feedback and acted on it. And then immediately, I mean, you immediately did something with it. Versus. And by the way, we ended up doing exactly what they wanted to do, not what I suggested, because <laughs> as it turns out, they were right, perhaps yeah. unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, and when it comes to leadership, thinking about where you're coming from, uh, making that distinction between managing versus leadership. And leadership is really for the times when you haven't been there or your team hasn't been there, done that before. If it's a process that you're doing all the time, it's more managing anyway. And so uh, you're relying on this thing about humility, about asking questions, about bringing forth the best from the team in this moment, even though you had a different approach. It sounds like you were leading early on. I mean, what's been the, someone's listening and they're like, well, man, how did this guy in five years go from, you know, sort of a, a bit like an I was, it was it was sort of like an entry level position at the at the yeah, company right. the startup I, I was more a, or less yeah data data analyst basically data analyst. Know, I was I was co I was coding all day and 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 building dashboards individual contributor role yeah. um, I mean sitting valuable, in a cubicle thinking about numbers certainly valuable super valuable but five years you're I mean you're COO where people are listening they're like what is because to me that is an extreme acceleration uh. But what's been like during that time, what did you rely upon to, or what do you say? Hey, that's, that's one of the main reasons that this happened. Yeah. You know, I think, um, the, the number one value that I think I've carried through those years that mm -hmm. I, I would attribute to, to whatever modicum of success I've achieved is curiosity. Um, hmm. Uh, and this, this connects back to pretty much everything we've talked about so far, which is mm -hmm. basically what I've said to you so far is I don't know very much. I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And uh, I'm learning on and, the job. 
but but shouldn't we all? I mean, shouldn't we all be? But yeah. And so and so I have gone into every workday from the moment I got here to 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 even today, being curious. Uh, mm-hmm. And and specifically, what that means is, I think, three things. It means asking questions, and hopefully asking the right questions. It means listening super hard to the answers you get to those questions, and it means synthesizing that data and taking your best guess at what you should do and then learning from your mistakes because it's a i think curiosity is a cycle it's not just about about learning stuff as an input to a problem it's also yeah. about learning stuff as an output from what you did and and so um i i try to be curious every day and to to be super aware of the fact that there's more i don't know than than stuff that i do know and so let me let me ask the questions it really turns leadership on its head for a lot of people where they believe, you know, where leadership is general patent telling people what to do in combat versus the world that we're in now. I'm not saying in combat, that's, that's not important perhaps. So there are times when you do that, but the world of data, the world of healthcare, the world of science, the world of we've got more data than we know what to do with. It is about asking the right questions. And if we get stuck in our subject matter expertise, uh, or we get stuck in in telling, we miss the art of that. Where, did, um, what's one of your favorite questions to ask? Uh, you know, I've learned uh, I've learned this from my current boss, who's the CEO of Allied Care Solutions, Mandy Cohen. She's had a really impressive career in her own right, and one of the things that she regularly asks in meetings is who is doing this best and what can we learn from them? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think about that a lot, which is, uh, you know, there are this, it all connects back to this theme, which is there are lots of people who know more than we do. What can we learn from them? Even within the organization, that's not always external. Sometimes it means who at this company knows more about this problem than we do, and what can they share with us? And of course, sometimes it means who out in the world has mastered this uh, this problem, and what can we learn from them? Um, but there's always there are always lessons out there that we can pull from. We don't always have to discover anew. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, but it may but it may be from a different industry, like you're saying, or maybe totally. a different perspective entirely. And being able to having the gift as a leader too to synthesize information is huge, because when you're pulling from different industries, I mean that that's where a lot of the magic happens. Now, in my research, I ran across a pretty cool Medium uh, article that you wrote, and I have to admit that was a cool bow tie you were wearing in one of the pictures on there. Uh, but so, there are a couple of questions related to that I want to ask. But one, first, I'd like to find out from you because you're as we're for the audience keep in perspective you're sort of generationally you're in the millennial sort of the tail end of the millennial right and i'm at the i'm at the higher end of the millennial so i'm basically generation x millennial and uh thought leadership has has shifted a lot in the last 10 years mm. in terms of i mean it used to be uh when I thought I wrote by when I started my first blog, I started under a secret identity because I thought I would get fired for writing it. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm dead serious. I, I really thought I would. 
And it was positive stuff, but I felt like I could get in trouble for it by my company. And now wow. it's it, it it's changed a lot. And now we've got leaders like yourself writing some pretty vulnerable, positive stuff on leadership. But really, it's almost like the the one that you wrote uh, some about your leadership thoughts. It was almost like we were getting inside your head a little bit on what your leadership journey's been like, who your mentors were. Is this like, what's your advice for leaders if they're thinking about their leadership perspective or they haven't maybe taken the step yet to put it out there? Uh, what have you found and what's your approach? Yeah. You know, you know so I um, I originally wrote that post uh, for myself, really. I, I, I sat down and I was like, I was transitioning roles. This was a four months ago or so. I was transitioning roles from my, my prior role, which was chief of staff for the uh, for Allidade and, and moving into this chief operating officer role in, in this business line that we're building. And I felt a need to synthesize for myself hmm. what I had gotten out of the last several years. And so I, I just sort of started a note on my, on my iPhone hmm. and I, I was jotting down lessons mm-hmm. and I, um, I shared them with my, with my boss at the time, CEO of, of Allidade, Farzad Mustashari. And I said, you know, like a lot of these were lessons that he had taught me. And so I said, it was sort of like, here are some of the things you've taught me that I've been reflecting on. And I just wanted to say thank you. And he said, you need to write this up and publish it. <laughs> and so I got ah, great, so he I got encouraged great encouragement. He, okay. yeah. and so I got great wow. encouragement to publish it. And, you know, I, I went through a number of rounds of revisions on that post before publishing it uh, because one of the things I was a little hung up on was, is there anything new that I'm contributing to the management literature here? There, there's so much, so much has been written about so many problems and I wanted to contribute some new perspective. And I hemmed and hawed on, you know, whether I was actually contributing anything novel. Ultimately, I decided that um, it was novel enough and that there was, there's, there are, there are, there's enough nuggets that people can, can pull from it that it was worth publishing partially because as a, I'm a voracious reader myself, I love reading uh, stuff that people put out on their experiences with leadership. And especially as a young leader, uh, I wanted to sort of pay that forward with an special, especially an eye towards people who might be in my position where there's not a ton of resources out there for, for young leaders figuring out how to navigate, uh, navigate the workforce. And, and so I wanted to, wanted to put some thoughts out in the world and it's been well-received. So thanks for reading it. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. A couple of things struck me about that uh, when I read it. Number one, it does sound like a journal entry. In the, in the best way, right? Like this is clearly your your voice versus yeah. it was written by a bot or it was written by a corporate PR team. Nothing wrong with a corporate PR team, but it sounds, it sounds like a real human being wrote it. And uh, you have personal pictures in there with you and your team. And yeah. there's you wearing shorts and like a uncon- <laughs> with your boss. And like, it was so funny. <laughs> it, it's a very engaging thing. Um. But it also sound it also is very courageous, I think, to put those perspectives out there. 
uh, that, Hey, this is where I'm at today. And in 10 years, you'll have a, you know, it'll, it'll be refined even more, but that you went ahead and put it out there. Uh, what kind of response did you get? We're super positive. Lots of, lots of great comments. I think I found it especially helpful to share with my team as I've been moving into a new role. I've had new direct reports come yep. to my team, new indirect report, you know, large teams that we're, we're bringing on that I'm getting to know as a leader and who are getting to know me as well. And I found it super helpful to be able to share this and another document that I've written that's more internal, which I call my user guide, which yeah. uh, is basically a few page document that summarizes the best ways to work with me, how I like to be communicated with, how I like to give feedback, how I like to receive feedback. And I share both this public post and that more internal post with my teams as a way of helping them get to know me. And I've, uh, I've gotten great reception. It's a very efficient way of getting to know me, I think. Yeah, they can sit down. I mean, that everyone's so often trying to figure their boss out like like damn how do i make this guy like i'm trying to do these reports i want to spend an hour on it i want to communicate i want to communicate with them in a way that's going to be effective versus wasting my time or having to go through 10 different iterations before you finally figure out the quote right way and so i yeah I suspect that's a great strategy for every leader to be thoughtful. I think many leaders, they're not even thinking that far ahead. Like, how do you as a leader like to be communicated with? And some people say, well, that's selfish for me to communicate that to them, how I want to be communicated with, because I come across as a prima donna or something. But really, I think everyone would like to know that. Well, and importantly, I ask for it in return, which is, you know, people on my team I'm like, how do you like get you write write a version of this for yourself and send it back to me? Not everyone yeah. takes the time to do that, but when they do, I totally respect it and I, I leverage I leverage those tools to be like, okay, you've told me that you don't like uh, we use Slack as our you know instant messaging mm-hmm. platform. You've told me that Slack is overwhelming to you. You much prefer email. Okay, I'm gonna send you an email. Or you've told me that um, it takes you time to uh, to process feedback, and so you'd rather hear the feedback and then discuss it. A couple of days later, rather than have an extended feedback conversation yeah. in one sitting. Okay, great. We'll do that. Uh, so I find it super helpful. I mean, just like the writing is amazing. Uh, it's really helpful for distilling your thinking and getting it to be concise uh, in a way that sp- the spoken word is not always quite so good. I-, I say this recognizing the irony of being on a podcast. Uh, and yeah, so it's yeah. super, I find it super effective to, to document our thinking on how we like to work together. I love that. It's like the, the, the five love languages for leaders. Like, like how can totally. you, what's the best way to I, give me feedback or to give me, re, you know, admiration or recognition, like this or that? This is what I like. That's what I'd be communicating. Totally. To. Uh, yeah. So I think key takeaway for people listening today is to think about one was talked about humility, two, we started talking a lot about how you get your own thoughts out there in a positive way. And this is a great way to do that is to think about how you like to be communicated to getting those messages out there. Now, one of the things I thought was really cool in reading it uh, was the thing specifically about feedback and how you had a story in there about how you were giving feedback as chief of staff, right? To your boss. And, uh, it sounds like you had a, a uh, <laughs> sort of like a an awakening of how to give feedback. We, <laughs> am I right? What's the story there? 
<laughs> yeah, you know, so um, uh, the so Farzad, the CEO of Alidaid, is uh, just an incredibly dynamic leader. I've learned so much from him uh, over the course of our three years with me working as his chief of staff. And uh, what I, one of the things that I realized uh, pretty early on into my tenure was that he was really good, but he wasn't perfect. Nobody is. But as I think is often the case with relatively senior leaders, people were sort of afraid to give him feedback or to tell him the things he wasn't great at. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they wanted to, they, and that's, that's it's hard to cultivate an environment where people feel like they can give you open feedback. I think Farzad does it reasonably well, but there was still lots of feedback that was flying under the radar that he was not hearing. And so I would take it as my personal mission to make sure he heard from me all of the ways in which he sucked at his job. <laughs> and I would, Here we all have we would that. talk, <laughs> we all talk, we would talk, you know, we talked multiple times a day, every day, but we had a pretty extended check-in towards the end of the day, every single day. And I would pretty regularly tell him, you know, so-and-so uh, is mad at you because of the, some offhand comment you made in this meeting, or this person uh, thinks you're super disorganized and wishes you would get your shit together. Um, you might know, maybe we, you might want to bleep that out. Um, we'll but in any case, uh, uh, well, there definitely are people who said that to me. And, uh, <laughs> and Farzad stopped me one day and he was like, dude, I appreciate that you're trying to help me get better. But sometimes you bring me feedback that I can't do anything about. And that's not constructive. And it's actually, it's really distracting. Mm-hmm. When you tell me, uh, when you tell me that people are frustrated that I'm disorganized, fair enough. I'm disorganized. That's why I hired you. And I have recognized about myself that that's not going to change in a meaningful way. And so I would, well, I'll take small steps. I need you to help me compensate for those, those areas. Or when you tell me that someone's mad at me because I made some comment, a lot of the times that's actually perfectly reasonable because I am trying to push their thinking and it's okay if they're upset with me. Mm-hmm. But I don't really mm-hmm. want to be dwe- I don't want to be dwelling on the fact that they're upset with me either. So it's not constructive for you to be bringing that to me. And I think I realized two things there. One, that feedback should be actionable. It's not feedback if it's not actionable. It's just information if it's not actionable. And information can be valuable. It's not not to say there's no place for it. But I thought it was feedback and it was not always feedback. The second thing is that it's super lonely to be a leader. And mm-hmm. uh uh, you know, I think that's maybe. People who have been in these roles recognize that sort of intuitively, but I, I think uh, for those of us, as, as we're climbing the ladder, certainly for me, I don't think I always realized that I, I was always aspiring to be the leader, aspiring to be in that top seat without always reflecting on the, uh, you know, the gravity and the responsibility that um, that carries. It, it's, it's, a heavy, it's a heavy weight being a leader, and there's a lot of self-doubt, a lot of uncertainty. And you don't get a lot of affirmation or praise. You, you get more complaints than affirmation and praise. And so you've got to have a strong sense of internal self. And, and I really admired that in Farzad. Uh, and I learned a lot about feedback from him. Yeah. And what, gr- what a great advice from a mentor that, hey, bringing me that. Thank you for bringing the complaints, but bring me some solutions or some, or, or some constructive feedback that I can action upon it. And it really shows that you're really, that you're really in it with them at that point. Uh, to be a really supportive, supportive person. It's just too easy to to point the finger, and I'm sure people do. Let me, man, it's great when you surface a problem. Uh, but man, if you can show up with a solution or a few potential solutions, that is so much more, so much more meaningful and so much more valuable. 
on that same article, um, you know, we do a lot of training, leadership training, uh, and we've been doing a lot around equipping the leaders with negotiations skills. And I loved your story about negotiating on principles rather than positions. And we're not going to show them the funny, hilarious picture that goes along with the story, but maybe walk us through it. I'd like, I'd like to dive into that <laughs> yeah, for a second. Well, with you. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll paint the picture uh, for, for the listener. So it's, it's 11 p.m. And there are like five of us crammed into a tiny little conference room that really only comfortably seats, I don't know, three people. It's the middle of August, and we're in Washington, D.C., which is notorious for its swampiness uh, from a climate perspective, setting aside the political uh, environment. (laughs) And uh, the building's AC shut off around 6 p.m. So it's 11 p.m. The AC has been off for five hours. We're in a conference room that is far too small for us. Farzad, the CEO, and I have, um, we're all sweating. Farzad and I, though, uh, had brought athletic shorts with us because we were, I guess, going to work out before or after work. Uh, The working out never happened, but we did (laughs) change into athletic shorts. So below the table, we're wearing wearing shorts. Above the table, we're wearing our button downs. And we're on a Zoom negotiating with an external partner. And it's been several hours, uh, and it, we ultimately would be in that room until like 2 a.m. that night, which was very mm-hmm. atypical. This is the only time I've ever had an experience like this because we are such a pro work-life balance culture. But there were various uh, deadlines we were we were working to meet, and so we were there super late. And the negotiations were painful. We were going back and forth through red lines on a contract. We had a few lawyers on each side in the room, and then a bunch of business people, and we were literally like, okay. In paragraph six, section five, subsection B, uh, the third line, Mm. you struck the word shall and replaced it with will. And we need to discuss that. And I was like, oh, so painful. And we were going back and forth. And it was this tit for tat saying where it was like, okay, well, we just gave on, on this point. So now you need to give on this point. And it was super inefficient. It was really unpleasant. Uh, Mm. And uh, far as I goes on, you know, puts the Zoom on mute at, at some point and says to the room, it's sort of a very stern voice, we're negotiating on positions. We need to be negotiating on principles. And I didn't really understand what he meant at the time. But uh, what I would learn over the course of the way that our behavior changed for the rest of this uh, negotiation was what he meant was when you're negotiating, it's very easy to get into this place where one party moves slightly uh, towards the middle, another party moves slightly towards the middle, and you slowly inch back and forth until you reach this very unimaginative middle ground. Uh, And that is how I think the most boring and worst deals are made, and probably how most deals are made, honestly. The best deals, I think, are made when you start with principles, and you say, this is what we believe we can accomplish together, and here's the the framework for how we're going to guide our decision-making. And the rest, if we can agree on those principles, the rest will follow. We can deal with liability caps and uh, various confidentiality provisions and you know insurance expectations. That's all, who cares? Like we can handle that if we agree on the principles. And uh, we ended up having a very successful outcome to that particular negotiation. And I saw it in practice many times after that. My, my favorite application of this, this thinking is on um, negotiating uh, compensation with employees which is 
we have a number of principles at our company about how we think about compensation. We have obviously internal parity. We also um, have a bonus program that's designed around being aligned with our customers. Um, we have a cap on executive salaries uh, that is uh, sort of aligned with how much primary care physicians make because they're our customers and we don't want to be sort of sitting in the ivory tower uh, making tons more money than, than the primary care physician. And all of these things together combine to form a particular ethos about how we think about compensating our employees. Mm. And we believe in sort of market-based and being fair. And, and we lay out those principles for our staff and we say, we're going to, you're going to have meaningful equity upside opportunity because we're a startup, but you're also going to have a fair base salary. You're going to have a bonus opportunity that's aligned with our customers. Uh, your equity opportunity is aligned with the company's best interest. And those are our principles. And if you are going to reply to us and suggest that we do something differently, it better be within the construct of our principles or else we're not going to entertain it. And I found that nine times out of 10, mm. that frames the conversation for the employee around um, not around how much, how can I extract the most value out of this company and more around how can I contribute the most value to this company so that I can get the most value out of the company over time through these aligned compensation levers that we have equity and, and otherwise. And um, I, I found that to be super powerful. Yeah. What a great example. And it reminds me of the idea about constraints and principles are kind of like constraints in some way, uh, like, within, yeah. like, like with the compensation piece. And within like constraints, a lot of times people think of them as limiting and they are limitations within a, a certain degree, but they also really channel and allow you to be more creative to your point, like in the negotiation. Constraints, a, a framework and constraints are very similar, at least to me in nature. And having yeah. that framework that you operate within, like, like like around compensation, that principle or constraint or framework ultimately allows you to be more creative in your negotiations with employees. And I sure do like that. I think leaders don't often, you know, they get so stuck on, hey, this is the process of negotiating we're going to do. This is how you do it. Like it's almost like you're negotiating a car or something along those lines. But thinking more creative as a, as a corporate entity can be uh, a lot more enjoyable and have a much bigger and and better outcome. I'm curious from your standpoint, if you've got a maybe you've got a a team out there listening today or or a leader of the team, and they're kind of stuck in this other way, and they'd like to add, you know, some more principles based leadership or negotiation strategies. Uh, what's maybe a first step? that you'd recommend that they take to get there? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts by sitting down and not thinking about the negotiation of the negotiation, instead thinking about it as if, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, Amazon famously does this. Um, they write the press release before they, uh, but before they do the thing. So they say, if this were successful, what's the press release going to say about this, about this super successful thing that we're incubating? And I really like that because it, uh, and, and we do a version of that, which is that we we can sit down and and say, okay, if if we're going to be super successful together, what is it? What does success look like? And then from there, you can say, okay, well, what defines that success? How do we achieve that success? And that that forms the, the bedrock of your principles. One of my favorite principles that I, I is pretty much a, a key principle in almost any negotiation that I participate in is alignment. Uh, and so that I think is a, a pretty good starting principle, which is. The outcome should uh, should 
mean that as many parties as possible share aligned incentives. I think often in uh, in contract negotiations, you end up in a place where one party succeeding means the other party is losing. Um, uh, for example, uh, you're negotiating an hourly rate for something. You bill more hours, that means that the other person is paying more. If instead you were going to be paid on outcomes, for example, and you said, our incentives are going to be aligned and you're only going to pay me when I achieve the thing that, that I tell you I'm going to achieve. Mm-hmm. Now, suddenly... Alignment is the principle in your in your negotiation. You're saying, okay, I want to achieve results because you will pay me more when I do that. And now we yes. both have we're both trying to get better results. That sort of thing I think goes a long way. So alignment's a key principle that I would start with if you don't know where to start. Yeah. All the leaders, great place to start thinking about this, creating win-win for your employees, your team, your your broader organization. That's a great place to start on that. So wrapping this up here, Doug, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? I think uh, the alignment point is a good one. And I think if I were going to leave uh, anyone with, with, with one point, it might be the alignment one, but I'll give, it, I'll give a second one since I just covered that one, which is oh, good. I wish that all problems, I wish that all people would approach problems from a probabilistic decision-making lens. And here's what I mean by that. By the way, there's a great book called uh, How to Decide by Annie Duke uh, on this subject. She's a former poker player uh, and has written a bunch on decision-making because decision-making, I think, is often thought of as being this super subjective, squishy thing. And indeed, like there, there is definitely an art to it, but there's also a science to, to, to decision-making. And the science is this. you can. Guess we, we're all doing this to some degree, but you can guess with some degree of accuracy the probabilities of various outcomes in a given if you make a certain mm-hmm. decision. And you can also guess okay, if the if each of those outcomes happens, what's the probability that this next thing happens? And you can form what's called a uh, framework used in, in sort of public health uh, modeling, actually, which is where I learned about this. Uh, and ultimately, you can say. Every company, every decision has a cascade of probabilities of things that might happen when you make that decision. And each of those outcomes has an expected value to you. Maybe it's a really good thing. Maybe it's a less good thing. Maybe it's an actively bad thing. Maybe it's a horrible thing. There, there are various kinds of outcomes. And if you combine mm-hmm. the, the probability of any outcome with, the, with what would, how bad it or good it would be if any of those outcomes happen, you can sort of quantitatively estimate the expected value of any decision using probabilities and just thinking about what's the probability that this versus that happens. And a lot of decisions, the probability uh, of a bad thing happening is pretty low, actually. And far too many times, I think people make risk-averse decisions because they're worried about the minuscule chance of a bad outcome. And I think putting down on paper what percent chance certain bad outcomes are can be really grounding in thinking about whether a risk is worth taking. And I recognize mm-hmm. I'm biased because I'm in a startup environment, but I think risks are worth taking you know, 90 plus percent of the time uh, because mm-hmm. most of the time it's worth, it's worth taking a leap because of the huge potential upside if you're successful and the downside while it exists is not meaningful. So that's, that's yeah, the last thing I, I would leave. Man, well, you know, you know, what a great place to, to sort of wrap up to think about risk and to think about what that means for us as leaders and our team. And the beautiful part is once you get that on paper, you can actually 
plan some scenarios how you'd respond if that rare chance did did come to fruition in terms of the risk or the bad thing but yeah just putting numbers to it taking a step back can give me a helpful leadership perspective doug thank you so much for coming on the show this is a fun one today yeah my pleasure thanks for having me ben if you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting do this before you do anything else Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of The Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.